Hello and welcome to The Pulse, MVC's podcast to encourage and equip you for your journey of faith and to keep you in the loop on what's going on around the church. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 84 of The Pulse. If this is your very first time listening, my name is David Miles and I'm a part of the pastoral staff at Maple Valley Church. This week's episode is special. We are taking the pulse on the road. We are in Denver, Colorado for the SBL Society of Biblical Literature Conference. And I'm sitting down with Pastor Pete and two other doctors. This is a well-informed group right here. We have three doctors in the room talking about something pretty exciting. Right, Pete? Absolutely. And I'm so thrilled to be here with two of my best friends. I'd like to introduce them uh, to our audience and they'll say a little bit about themselves and their theological training and the significance I've had in their life. <laughs> <laughs> to my right is Jace Broadhurst, uh, a pastor and dear friend uh, from Maryland. And to my left is Julian Smith, uh, dear friend since the fifth grade. That's right. And so, uh, Jace, go ahead. Give, give, uh, give our people your credentials and... Yeah, why, why you want me on this uh, podcast, besides just to say how great you are. Uh, by the way, you are <laughs> awesome. I don't know if I mentioned that enough. Uh, I, I'll say it many more times. Um, yeah, so I have a PhD in Old Testament hermeneutics, um, and I'm a pastor. And so what are hermeneutics? Hermeneutics is uh, interpretation, the art and science of interpretation, trying to understand, in my, in my case, uh, the Bible, but literature in general. Um, so usually the Bible or you know, other contextual books. Yeah. And then Julian? Uh, Julian Smith. Um, I have a PhD in New Testament from Baylor University, and I teach theology and humanities at Christ College, which is the Honors College of Valparaiso University, which is a little uh, independent Lutheran school in northwest Indiana. It's two, good. Two smart cookies, right? And you. And you me. You two, or you three... You are a doctor. I know, but here's the deal. We have to workshop a sermon series on the fly because it's starting in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> We're here to help. Yes. You guys are here to help me out, right? We're going to do our best, Pete. Okay. So this is going to be kind of a sneak peek of where you're going over the course of the next few weeks. I think so. Where we're going, David. Where we're going. Okay, so here's the title. I just work with the title and then you guys fill it in, okay? I'm like a, Roger. a movie producer. You guys are actually writing the script. And, and the talent. David's the talent. He's the face of the operation. <laughs> Jesus on every page, discovering Christ in the Old Testament. Got it. Good Good topic. I'm in. You're in? Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm good. Right here. Can we find him there? So, so we're going to start next Sunday with this text from Luke 24. Jesus and the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they're trying to understand what's happened. They don't recognize that that it's Christ who's speaking to him, to them. And he says in verse 25, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then uh, Dr. Luke records in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus this is New Testament, interprets all the Old Testament, all the Hebrew scriptures, and it's all about himself. 
So I wanted to ask a, a couple of questions about how do we understand, read, and interpret the Old Testament, and then how do we understand the New Testament? How, how then, with the New Testament, do we understand the Old, and back and forth, and see how we do So before we do that, I wanted to just take a moment to think about the wrong ways of reading the Old Testament. And uh, Jace, bear with me, because I know it's going to be like... <laughs> I'm ready. Nails across a chalkboard or something when you hear... Here are some things that we should not do, okay? People do not do these things when reading the Old Testament. Number one, do not not read the Old Testament. That's right. That was easy. <laughs> it's like, you're a New Testament scholar. Would you say that uh, we should just be devoid of reading the Old Testament? Absolutely not. Um, and so you know the, the heretic Marcion, who was a presbyter in the early church in the second century, came to Rome, and he thought we should just get rid of the Old Testament altogether, that the God in the Old Testament wasn't the God in the New Testament, that it was kind of a false God. Um, and so he just had this stripped-down version of Luke's Gospel. He took all the references to the Old Testament out, and he had some of Paul's letters, uh, but he thought the Old Testament was rubbish. Um, and fortunately, the church thought that was heretical, that we can't, in fact, understand the good news of Jesus if we don't understand the story of Israel. That's good. So yes, we have to read it. But that, but that's commonplace today, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah. confusing. I don't understand what's going on in the Old Testament. Or maybe, well, the God of the Old Testament seems so angry and harsh, but the God of the New Testament is so kind and gentle. And so people just don't read it, but we shouldn't do that. The second thing, and maybe, Jace, you could comment on this. What about um, moralizing the Old Testament? What if I were to do a sermon series in the new year? We're going to do 15 weeks on the life and times of Joseph or on Isaiah. What we can learn about leadership from King David. Just moralizing it, finding these character traits and saying these are the ideal things that we should pursue. What would you uh, say that? Why should we not do that? I think instead of saying that we should not do that, I would say we wouldn't merely do that. I think the Old Testament is given to us so that we can learn from the characters there or to learn what not to do from the characters there. So it would be perfectly fine for you to preach, you know, Joseph as a character of virtue. Um, that would be, a, I think that is one of the messages that comes from Genesis there. So I think they would have told that story in that way. That would have been fine. If you stop there, then you have a problem. If, if David is only good for uh, slaying your giants today, right, then, then you've missed the larger point, this, this web that is weaved through all of Scripture, I think, which is why I think I mean, your sermon series is excellent, right? The, the idea that everything is in some way pointing to Jesus. I'm not, I'm not sure I like the idea of him being found on every page, but we can talk about that a little. I mean, I get, We're going to find him. I, I, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and I, I do think that, that he's there. Uh, I just think it's probably not so simple. We can't just like, oh, here he is. He's so there is there is a way to find. It. So I'm with you. I, yeah. I, I agree with what you're saying, Jason. I appreciate what you said, and I think um, that maybe points to one of the ways we misread the New Testament too, in the sense that we can't merely go to the Bible for lessons on how to behave properly, right? We can't read Jesus as just another good moral teacher like Aristotle and Plato and Confucius or whoever. Um, Jesus is bringing us news, not just moral instruction. Right. And it's the fact that we can't understand the news of what God has done in the world um, without reading Israel's scriptures as well. 
Um, but we'll, we'll miss the entire notion that there is some news to be communicated if yeah. we just go looking for how to you know, behave properly. Right. What is this proclamation that you have? That's right. Does it be better? I don't think so. That's right. Yeah. So, so we, we, as believers in Christ, disciples of Jesus, Christians, we should read the Old Testament, not, not read the Old Testament. And we should understand the, the principles and things that we can glean from it, but not only do that. But then thirdly, because I see these are concerns that happen, uh, the third thing is cherry-picking verses out of the Old Testament to justify whatever it is that we want to say uh, in, in a message. So, for instance, it's Christmas time, it's Advent. Let's just cherry-pick a couple of verses that make sense. Isaiah comes to mind, Isaiah 9. And even leading up to Isaiah 9, 6, it's kind of confusing. So let's just jump right to Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, and just go with that because the rest is kind of confusing. What's the the problem with cherry picking Old Testament passages? You've missed the context. So yeah, I mean, there's this whole story, right? Uh, uh, that's happening. Isaiah has been has been selected to go and proclaim what he has to proclaim. Chapter seven, there's going to be a sign given to him, and and the sign is is fulfilled, in my opinion, in chapter eight. Um, so by the time you get to chapter nine, wonderful counselor, uh, that that whole story, you've got to know that that's set in a, in a war context. Um, these are not, you know, so I mean Jesus. If we just say this is Jesus, right? Here we'll do some theologizing, right? Is he is he a wonderful counselor? And what do we mean by that? Well, like the Holy Spirit, or uh, like a psychologist on a couch, that kind of stuff. I, I don't think so. This is a, a war strategist that comes in these. He's giving advice for how you would go into something. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Well, there it is. Jesus is obviously God, right? It says it. Nobody else is mighty God. But this is, this just means hero. This is God's name is in all kinds of people's names. It's nothing strange except for that he's the guy who comes in as a hero. So um, what was it? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Well, Jesus is obviously God again, right? Everlasting father. Well, yeah, that's, that's a heresy of the early church. Jesus is not the father. That would be a terrible thing. They're two completely separate. So we run into problems there, but it just means uh, he's the leader of a dynasty. He's going to continue this. So it's the everlasting father and prince of peace. So we know Jesus is going to call the prince of peace. I don't even remember if he is a New Testament guy. Is he called the prince of peace? Is that a revelation quote? I don't even remember. Might be. I can't, yeah. Um, but I know he's the ideal king, though. Oh, yeah. We definitely want him to talk about that. <laughs> Come yeah, on, he's, now. He's the master. Okay. Right? Give, me, give me a few seconds before I get on my hobby horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, Prince of Peace. So, yet, is Jesus all these things? Of course he is, but not in the way that we think he is. He's not a counselor. He, he's, a, he's a guy who comes up with a plan in some sense. He's a fighter. He's this warrior. He's the dynastic uh, leader, he begins this this covenantal movement that'll always be. He's always on the throne, and he will ultimately bring in peace. Does all of that fit together with with Jesus and with its original context? Yes. So, is he found in chapter nine, verse six? Of course he is, but in a very different way than we think. It's not some automatic leap from chapter nine, verse six, all the way into uh, moving to Jesus. There's, there's there there are these. Um, Fulfillments, <laughs> it, it means something else in its original context, and it moves further. And I, I guess we're going to get into that. We'll see. No, that's that's great. And I would simply add to that, Jace. As I said the last time, this is also maybe a mistake that we read, uh, that we make when reading the New Testament, is that we can take uh, verses out of context. I think a lot of um, sermons that I've heard growing up in the church have been: here's a verse. It says what I think it says, 
I'm going to use that as kind of a billy club to beat you all over right. the head. Um, hey, we went to the same church. <laughs> we did. And there Literally, were of, Jesus and, and Julian and his family led me to Jesus. So yeah, <laughs> and there were a lot of good sermons that I've heard too. I got to be saved sure. there. Yeah, um, freaked me out. Some of those sermons freaked me out. And and some of the problem with doing that is I think we miss what Jesus is trying to dis, uh, tell the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Um, look at scripture, he says, and you'll see that it points to me. And of course, that was very surprising. Nobody in their wildest dreams or nightmares would have imagined that the Messiah would be crucified on a Roman cross and then be raised from the dead. Nobody saw that coming. So one of the problems, if we just cherry pick um, passages from the Old or the New Testament, because we, we know what they say, because we've created the meaning for them, then actually we'll miss the challenging message that Scripture has for us. Yeah. And the surprise. That's yeah. right. And that's, yeah. This is very helpful. But I have a sermon series to write. All right, <laughs> okay. I know it's starting with the Road of Mace, and I know it's ending. I'm very excited. Lindsay Bunn's preaching on December 31st, looking at Luke 2 and uh, Simeon and Anna, and they're kind of these Old Testament saints seeing this prophecy fulfilled in their way that would be an interesting thought anyway so in between that and pastor mark's preaching on the 23rd just how do we wrap our arms around this bigger concept of seeing uh the son of god seeing the second person of the trinity in the hebrew scriptures as we are getting ready for the celebration of, of the incarnation in christmas yeah, so I, I said earlier, I don't like the idea of finding Jesus on every page. I mean, people, people are always saying, well, here he is. He's in this obvious place. And I don't, I think, like Julian was saying, this, there's a surprise ending. And it, it was not at all what we expected. They weren't like, you can't read the Old Testament and see, well, this is obviously Jesus. It just, it's very apparent. Um, but there are, there are pictures throughout the Old Testament of someone, <laughs> an ideal king, somebody who is coming, that will make everything right. So for me, when I look at the Old Testament, I see it as, um, I don't like the word Christological as much as I like like Christotelic. The goal of these passages is Jesus, right? That's where we're headed. We're heading towards this climax in the covenant. In the meantime, how do you, like now we're reading backwards, of course, so we know what the climax is. We know that Jesus is there. So we look back at the Old Testament so for me, I, I want to see what are all these themes in the Old Testament. So I, I like, I like Westminster. I think it does a pretty good job. Um, the Confession and Catechism. It talks about, um, you know, how does Jesus fulfill the covenant mediatorial offices, and the covenant mediatorial offices. That is, you know, who stands in between God and the people, and it's either a priest, a king, prophet, priest, king. or a prophet. So I feel like every page of Scripture. Scripture, you know, finding Jesus on every page, deal with a prophet, a priest, or a king. So no matter what you're doing, if you're reading a psalm, for instance, you're you're usually being, it's usually some king. It's being put forward as a king or a prophet or a priest. Um, read through Leviticus; everything is priestly. Any any of the stories. Anytime somebody goes to war, anytime somebody uh, says a prayer, you know, you have you have a kingly function of war. You have a priestly function of praying, sacrifices, all these things. These are all. Um, the old term for it is they're types, they're pictures, right, they're figures. Right. Um, that always scares me, the typology idea, but it, it does. It, it points to something bigger. So when Jesus shows up, he says, uh, very much like Hebrews, he says, I am a better one of those. Right, um, amen. I'm a better Aaron, I'm a better Moses, I'm a better the best. priest. Right. 
So all those things are wonderful. So even if you see Goliath, right, he can be a better, you know, a better bad guy. Uh, David is, is a superhero in this particular passage, or Moses is a superhero. Jesus will come along and be a better one than them. Even when they're negative people, even uh, princes of, of Persia or, um, you know, drunken kings, he can, he's a, they're less than ideal kings. He comes along and shows himself to be an ideal king. All right, I could probably keep no, going, good. but other people need to talk and... You know, Jace, um, as you were talking, one of the things that came to mind was, um, and maybe this is a, uh, a way I'm not comfortable with seeing Jesus on every page in the Old Testament, is sometimes when we say that, what we have in mind is that you can read the Old Testament essentially as a predictive prophecy yeah. of Jesus. That everything in the Old Testament simply points to Jesus, um, and that, and that's not such a great idea for two reasons. One is that, that then we think if we've read the Old Testament that way, we've exhausted its meaning. And that's not true. But also, I think it um, maybe lures us into thinking that we base our faith on, um, uh, that, that, we're, um, that we're trying to base our faith, our trust in Jesus in something other than faith. In other words, we're, it's as though we're trying to say, look, I've got this ancient text and I can see all these ways in which it prophesied predictively about the coming Messiah and see he came. And therefore, that proves that what we believe about Jesus is right. And, and I don't think you can, I don't think you can so use that's the from, Old Testament as proof in that way. Yeah, right. He, so backwards going forwards. But we look at it. So when I think of Jesus on every page, we're looking at it from this side of the empty cross and the empty tomb. That's back. right. Yeah. And so I have, um, you know, Hebrews 1, 1, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir over all things, uh, through whom also he's created the world. So now, in light of this new concept, this new paradigm shifting, world changing event, we go back and we see how everything Changes. That's right. We see that in New Testament writings. Yeah. We see that in early church writings, too. That's, They're trying to figure yeah. it all out. But you're saying we can't say that the writers at the time were trying to be predictive of something. Is that right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> and in fact, the way you're talking about reading uh, the Old Testament is indeed, you're right, Pete, that's the way early Christians were reading the Old Testament, partly because I think they found themselves in the position of the disciples thinking, my goodness, what did we miss? we've been reading the scriptures and we didn't see a crucified Messiah coming. And so they started uh, rereading the scriptures, not sort of to prove to their fellow Jews, look, you have to believe in this because see Isaiah prophesied to it. But they were trying to figure out what they had missed in God's story. An analogy I like comes from an essay by David Steinmetz, where he says, uh, reading the Bible for Christians is like when you read a detective story, um, the narrative typically has lots of uh, false clues. You see the guy in the blue sweater and you think he's the guy who did it, but it turns out he was just a guy in a blue sweater. Uh, and then you get to the end and there's the scene where Hercule Poirot gathers everybody and he explains everything. And he says, sure enough, yeah, it wasn't the guy in the blue sweater. It was the guy in, in, in the black crew neck that did it. And you missed that clue. Now, if you go back and read the novel after having read the final scene, 
you can't read about the guy in the blue sweater again in the same way. Uh, you just can't. Uh, you'd have to have amnesia. Um, so that's the way in which I think um, Christians ought to read the, the Bible, as J.C. say, Christotelically, because we've read the end and we can't help but seeing how this larger story is actually pointing to that. And J.C., you had a... Yeah. When we talked about this earlier, yeah. you had a great movie reference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. We can quote David Steinmetz all day long, but let's be honest. No one has a clue who that person is. But we've all seen, right? I, I yeah, spoiler seen. alert, it's yeah. only about yeah. 15 years old, so go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think it's older than that. Yeah, uh, The Sixth Sense. So Bruce he, Willis. Bruce Willis, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and spoil the end. So should we do that? Oh, I mean, yeah, please. Spoiler alert. I mean, we're, yeah, but don't, don't David, listen anymore. Say, uh, spoiler alert. But, you, know, you remember the movie about we, I see dead people? Right, this kid, this little bit eerie. It's a little weird throughout the whole thing, but in the end, we find out that Bruce Willis is surprise, surprise. He's one of the dead people the kid can see. What? And the, I know. I'm sorry about that. Um, so then you go back in and you watch the movie again. You almost have to right away. You have to go back and you have to notice that you know he's sitting at uh, at a table, you know, with his wife, and they're having a conversation, and she takes off her ring, or I don't remember exactly. What and my showman helps you out with that, doesn't he? In the movie, he he has quick flashbacks to show yeah. all oh, yeah. the little bits, and they're and you're just like, what? This is and the color red sense. or scarlet shows up. Oh, that's oh, you really that's want red. that scarlet thing to work? I want that. Yeah, what does it not work? <laughs> I don't know about it, whether it does in this, but certainly it does. Okay, so here's my here's my question. So I think I've got a good beat on this sermon series. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. I well, think I think guys, David. Here's a question for you. I'm gonna put you on the spot. Uh-oh. Don't put me on the spot. Uh, here we go. Don't put me on the spot. Look, here. Don't put me on the spot. Look, he's sitting on the spot. He's the editor. Spot. He can edit, so it's okay. <laughs> so it says it says on that road to me, I'm putting you on the spot because you are our discipleship mm-hmm. black belt in the room. Whoa. So wow. on that road, these two disciples, uh, what is it, Clopas and the other disciple, I think maybe it could be his wife. They don't say the name of it. These two, I'm going to get in trouble for that one, but I think it could be. Why not speculate? I'm going to speculate. Just, just wildly make up stuff. They be. become the greatest <laughs> biblical scholars in the history of the world because they've got the resurrected Christ explaining these things. They've, no one else has heard it, right? Am I right? But here's my question. They, they go, they find a place to stay, they tell them to stay. It's not until he breaks the bread mm. that their eyes are open. And then he disappears. And they say, did our hearts not burn within us? Hmm. What do you make of that? I don't know. Well, 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 I'm so glad you put him on the spot. Yeah, I put, him on yeah, us. put the <laughs> scholars on the spot here. That's Julian? Julian, I'm going to take that. this one. Did yeah. our hearts not burn with it? They're hearing this. They're giving all this head knowledge. but That's right. Sort of the practical sense, because I we we're, everyone that's listening, for the most part, are folks that part of our church or connected to it they've heard the christmas story yeah well here we go here's the christmas story we're going to hear about the shepherds at night we're going to hear about the star we've heard this how do we hear it in a way that makes our hearts burn for christ so i think um i think the breaking of bread is very significant for a couple reasons one the disciples would have broken bread they would have shared a meal many times with jesus and um, breaking bread in ancient Mediterranean culture and in contemporary Mediterranean culture, these are these are times of uh, deep, rich fellowship. So I'm sure that many of their formative moments with Jesus um, were not necessarily 
the bits that we hear about in uh, in the Gospels, I'm sure some of them were, um, but what we get in, let's say, Mark's Gospel, uh, to choose a different text just because it's shorter, is a lot of what Jesus said, mm -hmm. right? And we get records of the miraculous things that Jesus does. But I'm sure the disciples had a lot more experience of moments sharing uh, meals with Jesus, right? So it's no coincidence that it's in this familiar activity that they kind of recognize who they're with, but also think of the last meal, the last mm. time they broke bread with him. And what he was trying to communicate with them was, um, I'm not the Messiah that you think I'm supposed to be. I'm not going to come charging in on a white horse and kick the butts of the Romans and establish Israel as another uh, political entity. I'm actually going to be crucified and God's going to raise me from the dead. Um, that was communicated in in breaking bread. And I think it's it's that maybe it's that moment hmm. where they finally realized what he was trying to say to them in that last supper. That's really good. Um, so it's something we, we maybe would want to keep in mind when we ourselves uh, break bread, both in the sense of, you know, celebrating the Lord's Supper in churches together, but also when we think about the way in which Christ's presence is among us when we share meals. It's mm. good. That was incredibly helpful. I'm That's, glad, I'm glad I'm I really did this. Glad. I thought <laughs> I was going to be <laughs> like, <laughs> like, under the bus there, Pete. Yeah, that no, no, no. That's, a, that's no. a great answer. That's beautiful. Uh, well, I, okay, one quick follow-up. Last sure. night, I know we're, we have to wrap up soon, but who is the fellow? Didn't he say something about tasting the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God needs to be tasted. Yeah, Craig Bartholomew says uh, we need to be able to taste the kingdom of God. Mm. Uh, that it can't just be something we have cognizant, you know, head knowledge of or give mental assent to, but it needs to be an experiential, experiential reality um, in our lives too. That's great. Well, Pete, you have your content. You have your weeks all planned out now. <laughs> Ready to go. I don't know. I gotta, I gotta say, Pete, I'm, I'm, I think this is a great series, and I'm, I think the pew, the people in the pew, need to hear that this is not just some old text that you're yeah. you're bringing up. I mean, obviously they know it's an ancient text, but it points to something very relevant in there. I mean, it's pointing to the king. So I'm glad that you're doing this little series. It's great. I'm glad you're the one doing it. Yeah, and I think Pete's the best pastor in the world. Well, I mean, he's in the top five. Okay, I guys. Yeah. I've already paid you off. The That's about it. Well, you are all truly gentlemen and actually scholars. So thank you for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate you listening to The Pulse. If this is your very first time, we hope that you will check it out again next week. Have a great day, and we hope you'll listen to us again soon. Bye-bye.